Good day, bad day. I don't know how your day has seemed. I thought it was going to be a good day. I arrived early, was able to park, to go over my sermon, walked to other brother coffee, and it was closed for remodeling. It instantly became a bad day. Because that meant I had to walk in the cold weather down to Collectivo, but it became a good day because I discovered they had a coffee cake muffin. <laughs> good day, bad day. Life can change. That's not what I want to talk about when I talk about good day, bad day. Neither do I want to reference good day, bad day related to how you're feeling about the final four. Whether you were for Texas Techs or Gonzago or Virginia, or Purdue. You're probably feeling it's been a good day or a bad day. Again, that's not what we're looking at. We are looking at good day, bad day, with reference to the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, the last three Sundays I have been with you, with one interval of being gone, this is a subject matter we have discussed. Uh, the return of Jesus Christ. I'd like to just do a quick review of the last three weeks. March 3rd, my first Sunday here, we looked at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, and we discovered that part of Jesus' return is that we need to stay on task. And our task is to go and preach the gospel throughout the world to everyone. There's no place exempt from where we should go and no people group to which we should not speak. And we're to present the gospel. And there are three aspects of this gospel. The past, of what Christ did for us, his work on the cross, his resurrection, his atoning work. That's what he did for us. It's described in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's the past as we look at the gospel. But there's also a present reality to the gospel, and that is transformed lives. If we meet Jesus, our lives become transformed. I, you, I just don't think you can separate. I want to be as bold to say that if you say you have met Jesus and your life has not begun at least to crack, <laughs> slightly change, a partial metamorphosis, if nothing has happened, that I would go back and revisit when you met Jesus because it could very well be you have had what would be called a false conversion. You cannot be, meet Jesus and not have some transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We all change differently. Some change very quickly, some very slowly. But there ought to be some movement when Christ meets us and we meet him. There's also a future aspect to the gospel, and it's one we don't think 
of often, and so that's why I chose to preach on the return of Christ these four weeks. The reality is Christ is coming back and going to bring us into his eternity with him if we know him. John 13, verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Past, present, and future of the gospel to be proclaimed everywhere and to everyone. March 10th, my second Sunday, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and we referred to what I was calling living in readiness, focusing really on the person of Christ and, and how we should live out our life in reference to him. Uh, for instance, he's the creator, and so daily we should thank him for how he has made us and the plan he has for our life. He is the Messiah, Savior, King. That means our life should be under his control and his direction. Uh, He is the absolute ruler, and so as my saving king, as absolute ruler, I live under his authority. I obey him. I live as a citizen of his kingdom, and he is the one who determines what is politically correct, not not my government or the culture. He is the only eternal one, and so my whole being should pursue his things because that's what's going to last. And he has transcended. That means I can live a life of victory because he is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. But I should also honor him for who he is, and the ways I can honor him is by verbal confession, letting people know he is my Messiah, King, that God has come in the flesh. I bring him honor by living in obedience to him, and I bring him honor by living my life in a complete contrast to what the world is like, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means I live what I claim to be. March 24th, third Sunday, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, with reference to Jesus Christ coming back, we engage in his coming by grabbing the hold of the truth of of who he is and what he has said he's going to do so we understand the basics of his return. He's going to come as like a thief in the night, unexpected, all of a sudden he's here. I busy myself with the things of Christ. I live a life holy and godly. I look forward to his coming, and I do all I can to speed that coming by getting out there and proclaiming the gospel every place to everyone. Well, today, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which I believe speaks to Jesus Christ coming back. It's, kind of, uh, it's going to be either a good day 
or a bad day, depending on who you are. And it is a great reminder to us why we get the gospel out there to the world, to everyone. Because the two choices before us, knowing Christ as the judge of my sins or Christ as the Savior from my sins, places us in one place or the other, either eternity's hell or eternity's heaven. And the thing about these two choices, these two destinies, once Christ comes... Our destiny is sealed. We never move from one to the other once he has come. And so we must choose before he comes whether we want him to be the Savior from our sins or the judge of our sins. And there is no place in Scripture that even alludes to the slightest idea that somewhere at some time in eternity's playing out, it may change. We might have another opportunity. No. We have two destinies. We make the choice now, and it's sealed for eternity. This idea of two destinies, there's a thread of that truth throughout Scripture. It begins in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It started out there, these two choices. God never said to Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of life. But he did say, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they they made a choice that sealed the destiny for us in this present day and age that that sin is a part of every one of our lives. Cain and Abel. We have Isaac and Ishmael. We have Jacob and Esau. We have Ruth and Ophrah. We have the parable of the prodigal son. We have the thieves on the cross. One thief said, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And the other one said, "Ah, forget it. Two choices as they looked at Jesus. And it's the same for us. We have two choices as we look at Jesus. Either behold him as the Savior or push him aside. Well, our text today speaks to these two destinies. I'd like to read it for us, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs, upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Heavenly Father, we would ask that as we look at this text today, you would guide us in our study, and that the Holy Spirit would descend upon us with fullness and power, convicting us of the truths of these texts. Father, we pray for those who do not know Jesus, who are in our midst, that today they may find you, and they might step from darkness into light. So, Father, guide us in the truth of this text. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 9 of our text clearly defines for us the two destinies of men and women. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have that word, but a contrasting verb to show us the two different ways. First way is the wrath of God. For God has not destined us for wrath. What will this day be like? What is a, a day of wrath as it's described in Scripture? The Old Testament often refers to the day of the Lord and its emphasis is on how terrible that day will be because it's a day of punishment for disobedience. A sample text, and I read this last uh, week, comes from Joel chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. And then Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The day of wrath is going to be a terrible day. It will be a bad day. Verse 3 of our text describes it as destruction. Destruction will come upon them. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 highlights the disaster that's going to take place. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Absolute destruction is coming. Verse 3 also says there will be no escape. Well, we might think we get away, but no, it says there is no escape. And that's why Revelations chapter 6, verse 15 and 17 give us this description of people who think they might escape. And here's what it says. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, 
for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And the answer is absolutely no one can stand in the face of the wrath of God. So who is this for? Verse 4 tells us who it is by use of the contrast word but. Because Paul says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So the contrast is people who are in darkness. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5 Describe those who are in darkness. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So the people who are in darkness are those who do not understand who Jesus is, nor accept who Jesus is. They don't believe that... Jesus is God come in the flesh. They don't believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's whose God's wrath will come upon. Those who deny the person of Christ. Verse 5, also with this contrast, for you are all sons of light and sons of darkness. We are not of night nor of darkness. Again, part of the description is that these are people who are not sons of light. Rather, they're sons of darkness. Again, they're people who, who cannot understand, comprehend, or, or even if they understand and comprehend, they're not willing to accept that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One destiny for mankind is the wrath of God, and it's for those who are in darkness. And so they will meet Jesus as the judge of their sins. Jesus gives these words to Nicodemus one night, recorded for us in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Yeah, that's why Christ came. He does, Ezekiel, I shared with you last week, he does not want anyone to be destroyed. And so that's why he showered his love upon us, that we would not have to experience his wrath. Um, He who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's the one destiny. The other destiny is salvation. Salvation from our sins. When we get to the New Testament, the day of the Lord takes a twist and it's more of an exciting, uh, joyful day that we, we look forward to. Uh, Joel, even though it definitely looks at the bad side, highlights an element for us in Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. 
For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape. Uh, There is a way of escape, but it is in Jesus. And so those who are in darkness do not have to experience the wrath of God, but can rather experience the salvation of God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The day of salvation, a wonderful, wondrous day we look forward to. How do we obtain this? Verse 9 tells us, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That little sentence, obtaining salvation through Christ, is really a summary of John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whatever, whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Uh, we have referenced here a story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt on the way to the Promised Land, running into some poisonous snakes. Why? Because it was God's wrath on them for their sin. And Moses goes to God and said, how can we save people from your wrath? And he says, well, make a a snake and put it up on a stand, and if people look at it, they will be saved from my wrath. And this is a picture of the salvific work of Jesus Christ. He was put on a stand, on a cross, and if people looked at the cross and believed and trusted in that cross and the work of Christ on the cross, they would be saved from the wrath of God. And who is this for? Verse 4. The salvation, it's for the brethren, those who live in the light, who believe in Jesus. But we need to wrestle with that term belief uh, because it says very clearly in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, that's good, but you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So just believing in Jesus does not remove us from the wrath of God. You see, the ancient Israelites could have believed that if they looked at that snake, they would be saved, but unless they went to it and looked at it, they were not saved. They had to trust in it. It's what I call embracing Christ. I think embracing Christ is described for us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I I think that's what it means to embrace Christ and his salvation work on the cross. Not just to believe the historical fact that Jesus did this, and we can even agree that, yeah, paid for sin, but unless you embrace that 
truth and it becomes part of your heart, it does not become a work of salvation. What does embrace mean? It means to let everything else go. In the morning, when I get up and I'm looking forward to my coffee and my toast, sitting next to my wife for devotions, I can come with all my books and I see her and I want to embrace her. I have to put everything down. Set it aside, and then I can embrace her. And I think that's what believing in Jesus is all about. Not just the cognitive head knowledge that the demons even have, but it is putting everything else down and embracing Christ for who he is. God come in the flesh. God, the lamb who was shed for the sins of all. Verse 10, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That's the work of Christ. He died for us. Two destinies of men. To meet Jesus as the judge of my sins and experience the wrath of God. Or to meet Jesus as the Savior from my sins and live together with him for eternity. Well, I've presented to you two destinies that once Christ returns, they are set never to be changed. And so that is why the next part of this sermon is so important because it speaks to how we approach this truth. There are those who want to live in denial, verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety. Peace and, oh, the, hey, we're getting better. We're getting better. We're working at it. We still have a few problems. But, hey, we're getting better. If we do this and that and change culture and all this, we're going we're gonna to just make it fine. Peace and safety. People deny this idea of the wrath of God. Well, it isn't pleasant to think about. <laughs> That's why we want to deny it. It isn't pleasant. Uh, here's what the prophet Jeremiah says about people who boast in their own pride and abilities. He says, thus says the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches. Uh, so we have the Jeremiah prophet coming and speaking to the children of Israel that are soon going to experience the judgment of God. And they're saying, oh, no, it's okay. We're smart. We're powerful. We got wealth. Uh, we're going to deny the ability of God's wrath to come upon us. Ah, everything's cool. I can handle it. No problems. But... Look at verse 4 and 5 again. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of dark. Again, that little word but, a, a contrasting statement that shows the problem here. The reason people want to deny who Christ is and what he's done is because they're living in darkness. And why do they live in darkness? Paul describes the darkness 
in chapter uh, in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, he says, "In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, blinded their minds." First John two eleven speaks of they live in darkness because their eyes have been blinded. And so that's why people can't understand this truth of who Christ is and what he will be doing. And so as we're evangelizing people, as we're praying, praying for them, we need to say, Lord, open their eyes, open their mind to the truth of God's word. That's one way to approach the truth, deny it, be blinded to it. But another way is to know Christ, to receive the truth. Uh, verse 6, uh, let, let's not sleep. Let's not alter. Be, let's be alert. Let, let's be, be sober. We, we believe these truths and we stand in them. But why this warning of don't sleep, be alert and be sober? And that's because Satan is around and he is alive and well and he wants to trip us up because the more he can trip us up, those who are blinded in their eyes and their minds continue to look what they're saying is not true. Genesis 4, 7 says, sin is crouching at the door. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, and Acts chapter 20, verse 29, talks about ravenous, savage wolves. 1 Peter 5, 8, roaring lion. All these are descriptive of Satan and his present work. He wants us to trip and fall. So that's why we need to heed the warning here. Verse 8, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. That breastplate, that's a a defensive weapon. It it protects our our vital organs from death. What protects us? Faith. You will hear a lot of public figures, politicians, movie stars. You you hear them all the time. Oh, you just got to have faith. You just got to have faith. But faith is not a word that can stand alone. Faith is always in something. So if uh, someone, you hear someone say, well, you just got to be, you just got to have faith. You have to say, well, faith in what? (laughs) And our protection is faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. But we're also protected by love, but not just any love. We are protected by the love of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God was poured out upon us while we were yet enemies, while we were helpless, while we were sinners, and it was freely given. And Romans chapter 8 tells us it is never failing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
What is the helmet of salvation? Uh, what is the helmet of hope? Well, if, if you have time today, read chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, and it speaks to the hope we have of the return of Christ and the resurrection and dwelling with him for eternity. So what should this text, the, these, these two truths, these two responses say to us? What should they do for us? Well, they should give us two hopes. Uh, look what it says. It says, encourage each other with these. Uh, we should not be in despair over Christ's return. We should be rejoicing for it. We should be looking forward to it if we are in Christ. If we are not, then we should be very discouraged and very fearful. Life is not easy. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean life is easy. It's filled with troubles. It's filled with challenges. It's filled with difficulties. It is filled with disappointments. That is just life in a world tainted by sin. But the faith, love, and hope that is in Christ Jesus helps us press through and we can be greatly encouraged. And we are also to build up one another. Well, thus ends the sermon. Two destinies. You can either know the wrath of God, he will come as judge of your sins, or you can know the joy of meeting Christ because he is the Savior of your sins. There's no sitting on the fence. There's, we make a decision, and that decision is sealed for eternity. Uh, I did not ask if I can do this or not. I'm a guest speaker, so you know I'll go away, and that's okay. But, but I would like these people to stand, okay? I'd like you, and I'll tell you why I'm going to have you stand after you're standing, okay? Uh, I want pastoral staff to stand up. I want uh, elders to stand up. Are there any elders? Okay, okay. Okay, thank you, man. <laughs> Got to be quicker at making decisions than that, okay? I, I want deacons to stand up. If you have deacons, okay. Do you have deaconesses? Okay, if you deaconesses, would you please stand up too? I'd like residents to stand up. I would like all apprentices to stand up. I would like all church staff to stand up. And, and so that we get a few more women. If you're a wife, a fiancé, or it's a strong girlfriend relationship, <laughs> uh, would, would those women please stand up? Okay. The reason I'm having these people stand is because I have told you there are two destinies. You will either meet Jesus as the judge of your sins or the savior from your sins. And based on your choice, your destiny stands. It will never change. You have to respond one way to this truth or not. You either deny it or you accept it. The reason I'm having these people stand 
is because if you are here today and do not know Jesus Christ and you live in darkness and you are blind and cannot see, I want you to look around at these people. I'm assuming because who they are, they would be able to tell you how to step from darkness into light. And so do not go away here from here today if you do not know Jesus Christ. Meet one of these people and let them tell you how to step from darkness into light. Because the choice you make is sealed for eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your deep and wondrous love and... and You do not want us to be judged for our sin. So, Lord, if there is anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that before they leave today, they would meet with one of these individuals and find salvation and look for hope for your return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.